and welcome to episode 66 of Golf Pod Kentucky. My name is Ethan Fisher, and I apologize for the extreme voice cracking you've heard at the start of this episode. My goodness, this is a quite a way to start, but hopefully <clears throat> my voice will de-escalate, I guess, as we get further and further <laughs> into this episode, which is going to feature Andrew Struther, who is a Kentucky native that turned professional about a year ago, and we are going to learn all about Andrew and his backstory, both on and off the golf course here in a little bit. First, a couple of news items to hit on. Starting on Wednesday, March 1st, you will be able to register for Hope for Heroes, which will be presented by CSS Mechanical this year. This will be our second edition of this tournament. It was very well received last year. It is going to take place on April 24th at Polo Fields in Louisville. But this event is all about generating awareness and funding for our PGA Hope Kentucky chapters. The format of the event is a four-person scramble that features a combination of professionals, amateurs, and Hope veterans. So we highly encourage you to give it a chance if you are able. It is a very worthwhile cause to support. And as last year showed, it is a very fun day. So hopefully you can make arrangements for that. And again, we will see you at Polo Fields on April 24th for that. Later in the summer, another date to circle on your calendar is Barbasol Championship Week. Volunteer applications for that are now open. Whether you have done nothing relating to golf in your life, if for which case you're listening to this podcast, I'm not quite sure how you found me, but welcome. Hopefully you can volunteer. But regardless of whether you've been around golf your whole life or not, there are plenty of opportunities for people to do plenty of things around the Barbasol Championship. You can do a lot of social type stuff where you're around people or there's other stuff you can do where you're very golf centric, like TrackMan and just walking around groups. So plenty of different things to take a look at. You can go to barbasolchampionship.com to learn more and fill out an application. And hopefully you will be able to make it out to Keen Trace in July, whether as a volunteer or as a spectator. And on that note, tickets for the Barbasol Championship will be going up for sale for going up for sale soon. Sometime this spring, I'm not quite sure what date yet, but keep an eye out for that here in the coming weeks. KPGA members and associates, you hopefully saw that registration is now open for the Deaver Easy Go Spring Member Conference. That is going to be at Griffin Gate Marriott on Monday, March 27th. Cost to attend is $100. You get four PDR credits by attending the morning business meeting, and you would get three PDRs by attending what will be a two-part education session with a few distinguished guests that we've got coming, one of which is from the Tennessee Titans, and then the other two gentlemen are from Great Life Golf. So we should have a fun and educational day at Griffin Gate, and we will also be recognizing our 2023 Kentucky PGA Special Award recipients that day. So we've got some fun stuff coming there on that front as well but it'll be a terrific day all around hopefully you'll be able to join us at griffin gate on march 27th we'll go ahead and get in now to our discussion with andrew i said pretty much the nuts and bolts about him at the beginning in terms of the fact that he's newly turned professional we're going to talk about that his amateur career and what that consisted of other sports he played and the interesting stories he's got off the golf course, namely with a couple of very cool children in the Lexington area. But without further ado, please welcome aboard Andrew Struther. All right, I'm now pleased to be joined by my good buddy Andrew Struther on Golf Pod Kentucky. And Andrew, thanks very much for being here, my man. How's life going? Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Life is good. Got two healthy kiddos at home. One of them sleeps good. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, life is great. Good. And, you know, you've got a couple of young kiddos, one of which is very recent newborn, the other which has got a couple of years and starting to really uh, jump and run, I would imagine, just based on what I've seen on social media from you. But back when you were that age and a little tyke running around, tell me a little bit about what your life was like growing up with, where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Yeah, so we lived in Louisville for seven eight years, but um, 
most of what I remember is a childhood we grew up in uh, Horse Cave, Kentucky, down in Hart County. That's where all our family was, both sides. So it's a small town area. Um, they've got one golf course. It's nine holes. So I, I, I kind of just grew up out there with family and friends and um, you know, running around playing sports, different things. I grew up playing pretty much everything. At, at our school, if you were fairly athletic, you could, you could play whatever you wanted. So it was baseball, football, basketball, and golf. And um, golf it was the same season as football. So I played like Little League football and everything like that. But when we got to high school, I would miss a lot of practices for, for golf matches or whatever. But I, I was still on the team. And, but all I really did was kick and punt because I, I wasn't there for very many of the practices. So, yeah, it was great. It was great growing up down there with family and, and everything. You, you kind of alluded to it, but golf wasn't really at the forefront of your mind, I think, when you were a real youngling. So when did golf first kind of get into your head as like, okay, this is maybe the thing I should focus on more so than the other sports? I mean, like I grew up playing golf. Dad would always – he got me and my sister started really young. He always said that was the only way he could get out and play is if he took us kids. So, I mean, I, I started playing at an early age and got on the you know the high school team. I mean, my sister was on the high school team at like fourth grade or something just because there wasn't enough girls. But the problem was just that I wasn't very – like I was good at it for our area. We would, you know, play nine hole matches, and most of the time I would shoot around par. But then we would go to a regional tournament, and like I'd shoot 90-something or 100-something. It was just – it. I just wasn't good enough there. So I, I, I baseball was kind of more of my thing in high school. Really – I don't really know why I got more into it or bitten with the bug, but after school, after graduating college, I played in college and, or, I mean, I didn't play at a university for a school, but I, you know, would still play during my college years. Mm -hmm. But afterwards I somehow got into long drive competitions. I was a big dude, like very overweight. And one of my buddies back home was just like, man, you hit it really far. You should do that long drive stuff. And so, like, two years, I, I tried out with do, like, the qualifying and, and different stuff like that. And me and a buddy, we would go around for the qualifiers and different stuff like that. And so that was a blast. And then during that time, I started to play, like, some competitions or some stuff like that. A guy that I worked with kind of pushed me to, hey, you should go play some events and stuff like that. And I wasn't really that good, I guess, but. I could hit it really long. So every now and then if the driver was really working, I'd shoot some good scores because you were hitting it a mile. And I just, like, I fell back in love with it, I guess. And um, just wanted to keep playing more. Did you have any substantial success doing long drive competitions? Yeah. So the the first time I went, I was with a rocket balls driver and everybody's got, you know, the, the long drive crane, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and I qualified to like go to the next level. So I was like, holy cow, like I'm awesome. This is great. Like <laughs> this, this is awesome. And I got to like the next level of qualifying and I wasn't within like 30 or 40 yards remotely, probably further than that. And I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I do need to do something different. So the next year I got some of the gear and kind of trained at it a little bit. And I was, I think it was either St. Louis or maybe Alabama place. <laughs> But the way they would do it is you would get paired in like groups of three or four and the winner would automatically out of that group would automatically advance. And then they would give you like a wild card, whatever, who, which was the longest between you and another group and you would advance as well. So I got all the way to the last round, like winning my group um, at the, the regional level, I think it was in St. Louis and it was like three yards on the, the last group from winning Um and getting to go out to, you know, like Arizona, New Mexico, wherever, like for the, the world finals. Uh, but that was as close as I got. It was, it was real. It, it was a lot of fun. And uh, that would have been a really cool experience, but it was still really cool. Cause I mean, you would go around to, I probably went to four or five locals and two or three like regional. So it was cool trips and stuff too. How far was your longest poke when you were really going at it? There was a spot down in Alabama that was, hot as could be and it was basically like a um runway like i mean this it was so firm the grid 
ran out at like 4.30, and then it went up this hill to, to the interstate. And there were guys that were like starting to go up the hill. It was so firm and downwind. So I hit one 4.11 down there. I remember hitting it. And what they would do, uh, usually there were guys that were like kind of sitting by you or, or right behind you. Each, each guy had one. And they would radio like, all right, right side, landing, now. So that way yeah. they would call back the numbers. That way you kind of had a an idea like, okay, he's hitting it this far, or like I'm in the I'm in the lead, whatever it was. And I remember the guy called back 411, and I was like, I don't care what happens the rest of the day or where <laughs> that is. Like, that's the cool. That was so cool to me, you know, to be able to hit 411. And it wasn't even like, I think that may have been ninth longest of the day. Like, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a, a different beast down there with the with how firm it was being downwind and, and everything else. Now, as you transition from long drive stuff to, you know, traditional competitive golf, I'm curious, did you have to adjust your swing at all? Like, did you dial back from having to go like 110% every time in long drive to doing something a bit more, uh, less throttled or how did that play out for your swing? I never really did that with irons. It was, it was always just the driver or maybe mm -hmm. a, three would occasionally something like that um i didn't make that transition at first there was like i used to carry two drivers in the bag when i was doing that like i would carry a normal driver and then i'd carry the five degree crank that was 48 50 inches long whatever the max was and if it was wide open like it was long drive time like i was like hitting it as hard as i possibly could and i would do that in like a couple tournaments um so it, it became very very quickly it became evident that you can't play like that. Like that's not going to work. It may be fun for scrambles and other stuff, but it's not going to work. So I think that the, the benefit of that was up until recently when I, I haven't really done any speed training for a while, it got my speed up dramatically to where I could kind of cruise at a higher level or higher speed than I would have had I not gone that route or tried to do those things. Interesting. So with your with your amateur golf competing, you did this for what I'd say six, seven years maybe when you were competing in like KGA events and USGA qualifiers. Yeah, probably so. Okay. Now in that in that time span, what stands out to you is maybe your biggest accomplishment or like your best memories from that stage of your life? As far as accomplishments, it's I kind of have a weird story there where like I don't really have a lot of accomplishments as an amateur golfer. Like there's not a like Andrew Strother doesn't have an impressive amateur resume. Like there's nothing really there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I've got like a KGA AM series or um, you know a few low scores for like little Lexington local things, but no like city win or state AM mid AM. There, there's never there hasn't been a whole lot of amateur achievement. Um, I think just like early on, I didn't appreciate how good a golfers that the state of Kentucky has a lot of good golfers. And I don't think I appreciated the top level or how difficult it would be to get there. Um, and pro golf even more so, but I would say just like, as far as experiences and stuff, um, first couple of times I qualified for a state am I thought that was cool and getting to play in it and, and that type of thing. And I mean, anytime you win an event, that's, that's a great experience. It's fun. Um, nothing, nothing really like jumps out at me. Winning the club championship here at champions was fun. That was, a, that was a cool experience. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot that like jumps out at me from that time just because I wasn't very good. And it was just like a kind of a constant grind of trying to get better just so I could, qualify for a state open or a state am the first year or two i don't think i qualified and it was like holy cow man like you can't even get in the the tournament you know so it was it was a long process well i, I was looking when you were uh talking about that i remembered your second round from the state amateur at Audubon a couple years ago and I, I couldn't remember if you had the low round in the second round or not and jm butler the eventual winner yeah. that week he clipped you by one but you you did have that you were in the second yeah last that was a lot five. of fun too because golf's crazy like this but i think that that round i think i only hit eight or nine greens it was just like like i would just whatever putt you put me on the green i, I was going to hit it 
like it was it was just a hot day. I hit the driver terrible that week. I mean, I think you took a picture of me on the first hole. There's it's not even it's a little bit tight, but you've got room to the right. And yeah. man, this tree that's like 75, 80 yards off the tee box, whatever it is, it's not even that close to you. But I hit it twice. And like two out of the three days I was over there in the trees. It was like my driver was all over the place. But for some reason that day, I was just rolling it good. I, I remember that photo very well. I asked Twitter to do a caption contest for it. It's probably going to have to be one of the one of the preview photos when this uh, when the preview on social media comes out for this episode. Yeah. Now it, I I do want to segue into turning pro, given what you just said. So it, I think a lot of people maybe would be puzzled when they hear you say that you didn't have a ton of accomplishments as an amateur golfer in your own words. And then you decided around this time last year, I think that you were going to turn pro. So what was the impetus behind turning pro and why you wanted to do it at that point? Yeah. So when I, when I got out of the career business, whatever you want to call it that I was in um, out of college, when I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore, I wanted to get out. I had kind of decided like, Hey, I think that it would be awesome to like, to try to play professional golf. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go after that. But the problem was, as I stated earlier, like I wasn't very good. So, you know, I just practiced a lot, tried to play amateur tournaments and it kind of got to a point where obviously you can't do this forever. Like you can't just, try to play amateur golf events and, and stuff like that forever. And, and I kind of just thought, you know, I've got, I don't have very much longer to, to try this now that I'm married, you know, I had a kid and um, I was like, well, like we just need to jump. And along those lines with like, you know, you kind of saying this may not make sense. I don't think it, there's probably, I think most people, if you asked would be like, that's ridiculous. Why in the world would this guy do that? But I've kind of been somebody who, like, a lot of times I just jump and figure it out. And this was something that I wanted to do, and I was like, I'm going to figure it out. And I also felt like maybe maybe I would take myself more seriously um, because I wanted to play professionally. So, like, let's just do it. Let's just go. And maybe it would be like a kind of a switch, I don't know if you want to call it that, that kind of just changes when you – when you do that and how you practice and how you train and how you go about doing everything that you're doing um, with making that decision, you know? Well, by and large, I think that what you said in terms of maybe taking yourself more seriously, that mindset probably worked. I don't know what you would say was your best feat of 2022, but you were a factor on the leaderboard at the Colorado open, which is maybe the, strongest state open field in the entire country last year and that's that doesn't happen by accident like you have to know what you're doing with a golf ball to be able to do that so aside from that what else did 2022 look like in terms of where you played and what the year looked like for you yeah i played the thing that i've realized too with kind of turning pro or trying to play more events is there's a lot of events out there that you just kind of they're like word of mouth that you kind of have to figure out where they're at and go play in um, so there was a lot of those events um, kind of around the state of Kentucky. Um, I also went out, as, as you said, and played in um, a Colorado Open, played in the qualifier for that. A guy that I had played a Latin qualifier with had told me about this Mexican tour, um, and they had started – they did a uh, their first Q school, if you will, in the States for their tour. So I did that, and just, yeah, a bunch of little – little smaller events and um it was kind of my first stretch of traveling i guess if you will for for some events but it it wasn't a lot i've definitely done done more to this year already than than most of last year um but yeah just playing in a lot of a lot of those things and even then too it's like last year was kind of wild where like i wasn't i wasn't really playing that great for most of it and then it seems like early on there's a lot of opportunities in the year to play. And if you don't play well, then you don't get opportunities later on in the year. So you kind of need to be playing well at the beginning of the year, just to even get to play uh, later on in the year with like PGA Canada or Latin America, that type of stuff. So I really felt like I hadn't played well. And um, 
signed up for that Q school for the Mexican tour, played solid in it, got status. Um, and then it was out in New Mexico. So uh, I just drove up to Colorado to play in their open qualifier, played awesome in the qualifier. And next thing you know, it's like, okay, this is like, now we've got a little bit of a year. This is good. I, I I am curious with just the stage of life you're at. I could be totally wrong since I've never actually been like on the mini tour scene, but I would imagine that you're probably in a smaller group of people in your early thirties, kind of, you know, like the, the new dad phase of life. And you've got a lot of people you're playing against who are probably fresh out of college. So what is it like, maybe being 10 or so years older than a lot of the guys you're competing against. Yeah, that's been, um, that, that's been a little different than I expected until the Mexican Q school. I don't, I, I, this is kind of like my second year, I guess, playing qualifiers and stuff like that. So out of all the Q schools and different, like, I guess, professional events, I think until then, so like 16, 20 rounds, whatever, whatever, with two or three playing partners in each one of them. I had never been paired with somebody who was younger than me. I had never, only once had I been paired with somebody who was even married. And that was uh, down in Latin America. He got married the month before and never been paired with anybody who had a kid. So it was just kind of like, like, I don't, I'm not old, but dang, I feel old now, you know, <laughs> none of these guys are, you know, in this, in the, same stage of life as me. But the other thing that's really cool about that is, you know, I know at 22, 23, heck, 26, 27, like I hadn't really figured out who I was as a person or there was a lot of, I don't know if you would call it insecurities. Cause I mean, I, I think there's still a lot of insecurities or like imposter syndrome stuff that you can, you deal with, but like, I kind of know who I am now, you know, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, so there's, there's some, there's a lot of positives there with that too, but yeah, it's, it's definitely different. You know, um, one of the guys that I, I traveled with a little bit for Mexico, um, my guy is awesome, but the dude loves to, to party. And I remember we were in Mexico city and we went out to dinner and I was like, Hey, I've got a, I gotta get to the airport at like five thirty, whatever. And he's like, Oh, okay. I should be back by then. And I'm like, Bro, back by five. what are you talking about, dude? Like, I need to be in bed by 10 30, 11. What are you? It's just it's just a different life. But but it's but it's wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's there, cool. Me, I'll tell you one other thing. Um, yeah. We're we're pretty lucky here at Keenan Champions to have a lot of really good golfers. Um, mm -hmm. you know, when they're not playing, you know, a lot of guys with Canadian Latin teeter comes by and plays. Um a lot of really good golfers for like some money games. To, to practice and i remember the this was probably a year or two well no i guess it was two years because claire was a baby the first time i jumped into one of those um my first daughter or well, my only daughter but our first kid she's probably three or four months so you know still waking up in the middle of the night and all that stuff so it was like 233 and i woke up fed her a bottle changed her diaper and i thought man i am probably the only guy right now like that's playing tomorrow that it's like changing diapers you know, you know? it was just it's just a different stage of life, but it's awesome. Yeah. So you touched on the fact that you've got some status on some tours for this year. So we're hard to believe we're already two months into 2023 and we are, you know, obviously 10 months away from concluding this year and that'll be over before we know it. But what has these first couple of months looked like for you? And then what's in store from March through December? First couple months, I've uh, been traveling down to to Mexico to play in their tour, um, and that's been a lot. Like that's been a lot of fun, but I haven't played well, so it's it's been a little bit tougher to appreciate those experiences and, and stuff. But it's been a great experience from the standpoint of just kind of getting used to traveling and putting yourself through that grind and getting used to okay, we fly out this day, we do practices this day, yeah, just kind of figuring out how to manage that stuff. Um, and the talent level down there, like, is is incredible. Like, it's great. The guy who's won two or three times this year, well, the guy who won the first event, Joel's, you know, full status corn fairy. The other guy, I think, is leading the Latin American, you know, points or money list. You know, it's it's some really good talent. Um, 
but that's what I've been doing so far. We got a couple of guys here at Keene that are going down to to Alabama next week for uh, Canadian qualifying. We're all we all got put in the same spot, it seemed, and we're we're staying together there. So usually Mexico does like one event a month, and they usually try to stagger it if there's a big Latin event or whatever. So got that for the rest, probably another four months or so. Um, they usually do ten events a year, and then just picking up those other little little tournaments and hopefully playing in Canada. Yeah. So when it comes to goals and things that you have your eyes set on when it comes to what you want to accomplish, let's do short term to start off with. So if, you know, if things went really well for you this year, what, what would leave you going into 2024 saying this has been a really good year? Like what would you have accomplished? Yeah, I think I would have starts on a PGA affiliated tour. Um, and I, that's that's the number one, my number one goal, um, whether that be Canadian, Latin, Corn Ferry. Um, I'd also like to have my goal is to have one start on Corn Ferry or PGA, whether that be through Monday Qualifier, sponsor exemption would be awesome too, yeah. or you know, whatever the case. Um, I also want to have one PGA or excuse me, one professional win. Uh, that was on my goal last year. I got close to to getting that, but didn't quite get it. So that that's a goal this year. And then I've got some like stat goals. I don't know if anybody out there would cares to hear those, but I'll give them out anyways. I wanted to just have um, more than one stroke gained off the tee, be in the positive for putting. Um, and lately, man, I don't know if you're familiar with the the Tiger was it Tiger Four or Tiger Five, but man, those have been killing me. So like, my goal from now on is like I want like an I want to hit those. Like, I don't want to be falling short on any of those numbers. Like let's, let's hit those and we'll have a good round. Now, long-term, what is it that you want to get to? I'm sure the easy answer is, you know, full-time member on the PGA tour, win on the PGA tour. What else is there to that in terms of what you want to do throughout the rest of your career? Yeah, I think that it's easier for me to kind of view it as like, to break that down maybe and, and just be more like, I mean, I, anything playing full-time on corn Ferry, I would say is a success, especially now where mm-hmm. they've kind of like, you know, restructured the, the purses pay structure and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the goal. Um, they're, they're stepping stones to kind of get there. You know, the, what, what I foresee is, you know, play playing on Latin or Canadian and, moving your way up to, you know, be it towards the top and then getting a card that way. Or, um, I mean, it seems like, man, Q school is just a, a grind and, you know, it's, it takes a lot to play at that level for so for that many consecutive weeks. Um, so I don't know if that's the best way to, to get it or not, but whatever the case is, yeah, just, just kind of getting there. And I think once, like once some of those goals are reached, then we can start worrying about something else. But we got a, we got quite a few other goals to hit before we sure. get there. Yeah. And I think it goes without saying at this point. I think people realize the fact that there are only so many people out there like John Rom who are just raking in millions yeah. of dollars week after week. And it is a it is not a cheap expenditure to try to do what it is you're doing. So when it comes to supporting a young family and making this work where you are able to travel and then pay entry fees, the whole nine yards. How do you, how do you make that work financially when it comes to supporting work or just making sure you've got the dollars necessary to do this? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll jump back kind of along that, those lines with the like goals or, you know, how do you view a success, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my goal would be to also just to, to earn enough, whether it be through state opens or other little events to, to just make money, you know, at this or heck break even, you know, for this year or, or, or whatever. Cause, cause like you said, it is a, a grind and it is really expensive. Um, but with things I've done along the way, man, I, uh, a couple of years ago during like the off season when I couldn't practice a ton, I got a part-time job at a grocery store, like fresh market here in Lexington. 
I, I worked at Lowe's for a little bit because I think, yeah, I, I, they, I think they did something with like healthcare and if you work part-time or something. So I was like, I need some benefits, you know, <laughs> and, and then I got married and got, got great benefits with my wife uh, being at UK healthcare. But um, yeah, so I worked at Lowe's for th- six months, whatever it was. And um, I got my real estate license. So I do real estate as well. And then a, a friend of mine moved in with me while him and his fiance were uh kind of just transitioning before they got married and she was a behavioral therapist and she was like hey you know you should look on care.com to do like some house sitting or like just random stuff to make some side side money um while i was trying to play and this lady i mean you know the story a little bit but this lady messaged me about kind of taking care of her son and i had no idea what that really meant she get, she sent me a really long message about it but i was just kind of like okay i'll check this out um and it turned into a relationship that we've kind of like i've been working with the kids for i mean several years now um so that's kind of what i've done the majority of what i've done in the past now uh i haven't been working with them near as much um but ironically i'm working part-time or a couple shifts a week at my kids daycare i just started that like three months ago because daycare is so expensive my wife saw that they were uh they needed some help and that there was a discount for employees. So she was like, Hey, you should, you should go, you should go do that. <laughs> and I told her the discount. She's like, you are doing that. No fans or buts. You're, you're going. Yeah. So, not so subtle. Yeah. Yeah. It's subtle. So I do that a little bit. And, um, Larry here at the, the Academy, he, he's been awesome about trying to like, anytime there's some odd end jobs around the Academy, he'll, he'll let me help out or, or do those to try to, try to earn some cash and, and stuff like that as well. Awesome. I've done it. I've done, I've done whatever. Like, yeah, it, I, I, I'd laugh with my wife all the time. I tell her, I'm like, man, the things I have done or am doing to play golf is, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this game makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? For sure. Well, you, you touched on it, David and Austin Buncher, uh, this uh this story which we'll dive into now i i got the feeling when i read the article from ryan french a friend of the podcast who was on here a couple years ago monday q info for people who are on twitter that name will ring a bell right away but this uh this story was brought to light nationally last fall and before we get into the actual like publishing of that story and working with Ryan, let's establish the groundwork for what this relationship looked like. So you you talked about it with their mom and how you kind of became a, uh, I guess a caretaker for lack of a better word. Uh, so give us the full story of how that works and David's needs. Yeah. So um, she, you know, she had me come over to the house through like a, I guess you could call it an interview, but um, I had, I didn't really have an understanding of Dave or like the level of care that was needed until, um, until meeting with her and she, we were meeting there in the dining room table and um, dad had been gone. His dad had been gone um, for like a work trip. So when he got back, Dave was you know excited to see him and everything. So he's dropped on the ground and not, not having an outburst by any stretch, but just kind of, getting all excited and i remember thinking like man like this is this is a little more than i'm used to like i don't have any experience with any of this but she was awesome and um trained me for a couple days dave has autism and i guess you would say profound on the spectrum you know he's nonverbal. he now he's got a couple signs that he can use at the time that i was working with him he didn't really have any signs any any way of communicating really other than just Mm -hmm. grabbing something or whatever yeah. Um, so, I mean, his needs are full. Like you got to bathe him, um, change him, like, you know, it, it's, it's full care. Um, and he's, he's 19, 19 or 20 now. Um, either way. So, I mean, you know, he's a pretty much a full grown dude, you know? So, uh, it was a big learning period that I just had no skills or, or knowledge of that area. And I remember telling my wife kind of about it and she was like, no, this is it's a bad idea. You, know, you can barely take care of yourself. You cannot take care of this 
16, 17 year old kid at the time with, with all these needs, like he's going to run out into traffic and get hit or something like you're, it's not going to work. Um, but it's been great, man. The, it was a huge learning curve. I made a ton of mistakes and Dave's beat up on me along the way, but he's, uh, he's great, man. It's, it's great. Along those, I'll, I'll say this too. He, because he's nonverbal and doesn't have a way of communicating really, he's got a couple signs now, so it's gotten better. But a lot of the ways that he communicates or gets what he wants is through outburst. And they're, they're very violent at times just because it's like, I mean, if, if you've got to go to the bathroom or you're hungry or you need something and nobody knows what, what you want, like one of the ways to get it that he's learned is like, okay, I'll have a violent outburst and like, they'll figure out I need something. Um, so that was a big adjustment to being in those situations and, uh, and everything. Yeah. And I'm going to do my best to remember to put a link to that story in the description here. So listeners, if you're not familiar with the story, you can read it and get the full senses to what we're talking about. But when it came to the stories publishing, how did, how did it first come up when Ryan or anyone at fire pit collective indicated that they'd be interested in doing a story about you? Yeah. Well, I had met, I had met Ryan. I had talked to Ryan a couple of years ago when the barbershop was first here. If you remember, there was that, there was a guy on Twitter who said something about um, Smiley shooting, what did he shoot, like 83 or something? Yeah. So I had just reached out to him and was like, hey, man, I'm a member out there at the, the course. Like, if you want to put something together, I'd be happy to try to help out. And so we had talked like once, but that was, you know, however many years ago. And then so we were, I think I had actually texted you when I was out in Colorado and saw him. <laughs> I was like, you know, hey, I saw, I saw Monday Q, I, I think, like, you, you know, but I didn't introduce myself or anything like that. And so I think it was the second round before it or after. Um, man, the Colorado Open is sweet. Like, they set up food and all this different stuff for the players, like post-round, lunch, all this different stuff. So I had I was eating, and they were like a table or two across. And I was like, man, I want to introduce myself. I was like, no, I'll just wait. Like, I don't want to be weird, you know, or yeah. whatever. So I get done, and I go over, and I'm, I'm working on short game, hitting bunker shots. Um, and him and the guy he's caddying for like come in the bunker and start hitting with me. So I'm like, okay, I gotta say something now. So I get yeah. done, get my bag, and I, and we make eye contact. And I'm like, hey man, I'm a- I'm Andrew from Kentucky. We we talked a couple years ago. He's like, oh yeah, man, how are you? You know all this stuff. And he's he was just kind of like, I don't think he knew that I was playing professional golf. Mm-hmm. So uh, it kind of it was like, what are you, what are you doing here? You know? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm playing all this stuff. He's like, oh. Did you qualify? Like, like, how'd you get in here? I was like, yeah, I qualified, whatever. And um, he asked how I played, you know, the day before. And I told him what I shot. And he's like, oh, like, all right, cool, man. Well, good luck. And I had kind of mentioned, like, yeah, hopefully I'll, you know, play well and then get home before my wife has the um, the baby. So he, he kind of asked me about that and and everything. And so he kept up throughout the week and was texting me. And, um, yeah, so – um crap well as i I said before i kind of ramble so i forgot what you uh what the the first part of the question was or how that started (laughs) oh i don't even remember either i think you pretty much covered it but with the with that story being up go ahead sorry my bad dude Um, no you're good yeah so he um i had texted him when i got home finally to you know meet jack and clara uh and send him a picture you know the kid and everything like that and he was like the next day or so, I think he said like, Hey man, I think you got a real cool story. Um, would, l- would like to do a story on your, like hear more about it. Uh, you know, reach out to us or, you know, give me a call and we'll, we'll talk sometime. And so at that point, I think he just thought it was neat that, Hey, here's this guy that, you know, qualified for the open. It's wife had a baby the day before the last round, whatever it was, you know, um, let's, let's hear more about him or, or whatever. Gotcha. And with that story, I think you you might not say this, but that's fine. I'll brag for you. I think a majority of people in Kentucky who are familiar with golf knew of your name, but you know, nationally outside of Kentucky, people weren't familiar. But then Ryan posts this story, and then just with the the Twitter effect of Fire Pit Collective and how they put their stories out and the reaction it typically garners your your name started to spread around like wildfire and it's pretty evident ever since that story came out back in october compared to now that 
like it, it's kind of changed your your Twitter presence and your online persona as a whole. So how how would you say that article has impacted just the way people see you as a golfer and then also as a non-golfer and just as a regular guy? There's been a lot of people who've been, I mean, everybody's been extremely complimentary and, and kind, you know, since they've read it and I mean, even before, but uh, yeah, just a lot of people have been very complimentary or, or reached out um, just kind of me as a person, I guess you'd say not as a golfer about it or given words of encouragement. Um, I think, it, and yeah, especially social media, like golf Twitter is kind of a weird world, but uh, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of guys that I've kind of, you know, befriended or, or whatever on there. And um, yeah, everybody's been really, really awesome about this encouragement or support. And I think as a, like, just as a golfer, um, I mean, he's not, he's not really writing a story about me as a golfer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he's not saying like, Andrew's just good golfer or whatever like that. But I, I think for me, for some odd reason, there was a little bit of like, I don't know that you would say validation, but like more like seriousness, I suppose. Like, okay. I kind of like, I am doing this like, a, like I am a serious golfer, I guess. I don't know if that makes any sense, uh, but just that somebody would like take time to learn about your story and, and kind of tell others maybe. Um, the other thing that's been kind of wild is, and he kind of talked on there about the, you know, it being expensive and you know kind of the things that i've done to to make money or kind of running out of a nest egg to to play there's been several people who have reached out and just like helped me with tournaments or or like you know sponsored an event or or whatever and not wanted anything in return like hey man here's like go play down in mexico and like go get it don't worry about the flight or you know whatever else which Mm -hmm. is crazy to me the generosity of a lot of people um and it's it's also kind of helped me with reaching out to people um kind of fundraising wise to for this season um just some validity i guess like you know that that someone would um be interested in my story and kind of put it on a national stage or a bigger stage at least yeah that like like you alluded um it's been awesome and and it's kind of nice too that like somebody tells dave's story or the bunchers you know like like that story is absolutely worthwhile of people reading and hearing about you know um so that was kind of cool that they would get get a shout out and get recognition as well yeah very well said and that's it for my list of normal questions and before we do rapid fire, which I believe you're familiar with, I do have one question that I didn't plan on asking, but has anyone ever said that you look a lot like Dustin Johnson? Because I've never thought this before, and I wish there was a visual medium for people to see how I'm looking at you right now. But between the beard, the white hat, and your ears, you look like the spitting image of DJ right now. Has anyone no, ever told you that? Nobody has ever said it's got to be the flat bill and the tailor made. Usually, yeah. Usually the look or the the doppelganger I get, especially like when I tried to grow a mullet and like the longer mm-hmm. hair, everybody <laughs> called me Aaron Rodgers, like everybody. Oh. And um, like I meet, I think I met Bradley Sutherland for like the first time we like played together or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he was like, I think it was the first thought. He was like, has anybody ever told you like Aaron Rodgers? I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite a few. And then it was like, just I guess maybe the long hair and whatever I was wearing, but man, there for a, a little stretch, everybody was saying Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. Well, I can see that too. Now that you bring that up, I've never thought that, but I I do see where people would get that resemblance. Either way, two very successful guys in their uh, their careers, so I, I I'll take that compliment either way. For sure, as long as you eliminate the weirdness of Aaron Rodgers, and I think you'd be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And he's a Packer. He beats my Cowboys all the time. So I don't like that part, but that's all right. Yeah. All right. So with rapid fire, these questions from here on out, you don't have to give an explanation or a reason. Just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. What is your favorite golf course in Kentucky? Can I give you two? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give champions, obviously, just because it's my, my home course and 
I, I just love it. It's home. But the second one is a course called Shady Hollow um, down in my neck of the woods. It's it's not a tournament level course because it's not always in great condition, but it is a hidden gem. I think it's one of the most fun courses that used to be nine holes when I was growing up. I know you didn't ask for an explanation, but no, go ahead. Um, it used to be nine holes when I was growing up, tons of fun. And then they built on uh, when I was a little bit older to 18. Um, there was always tournaments out there. Kenny Perry used to have a big fundraiser. I just played it so much. And I think it's so awesome because it's just down in a holler and tons of character would highly recommend anybody going and playing it. And it's usually like 25, 30 bucks. Maybe. My, uh, my soon to be wife's her, her grandfather and his wife, they, I believe they have mentioned that course to me multiple times about going down there to play with them. Looking at it on the map, I think it's the one I'm thinking about, but kind of, uh, not a, Oh God, what is that lake called? I'm a, I'm spacing it out. People it's close to like Nolan probably. Yes. Nolan. Thank you. I, uh, nevertheless, that, that is a good one I've heard before. So yeah. good, a good answer there. It's got a great 18. It's an Island par three. It's fun. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. So what is your favorite golf course outside of Kentucky? Outside of Kentucky. I haven't really played a ton of golf courses outside of, I like crazy nice. Um, I played this one in Mexico two events ago that I really loved. Like it was, it was a blast. Um, it was in the city, Queretaro. Um, I forget now. I forget the name of the course, but that one's probably my favorite. There was just so many scenic holes, cliffs, like like it was it was awesome. What's your dream foursome, and what golf course would you go to? My dream foursome. I I would. Probably go to Pebble. Never been there. I'd go with Dad. Hmm. I would go with Dad, and I'd go with Jack whenever he gets about when he gets a little bit older, and I go with Clara. But just let me let me fast forward. Like, let's hold off on it for 15, 16 years. Yeah, yeah. I you know it's crazy. I I've heard you ask people that, and I've thought of it. And until now, like it's never dawned on me. Like that's that's my foursome. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 was that's cool. What golf course? Well, excluding Pebble Beach, what golf course do you want to play the most that you haven't gotten to yet? Augusta, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course. If you're playing a normal round of golf, not a tournament, are you going to be walking or riding? It really, just depends on who I'm playing with, but probably walking. Or, or excuse me, riding, riding, riding. You grew up in Louisville and you live outside of Lexington now. Are you a UK fan or a Louisville fan? Oh, UK. UK. <laughs> no chance I'm a Cardinal. How many holes in one do you have? Zero. We got to change that this year. Yeah, I hope so. Um, what's your favorite vacation spot in the world? We always went to Destin, Florida. That's probably my spot just because we, we went there so much. Good memories. Last one for you, and you're you're more than welcome to give an explanation about this one. Will the Cowboys win a Super Bowl again in your lifetime? Yes. And <laughs> my explanation to that is simply it's got to be a numbers game, right? Like you got to get lucky once. You would think. I mean, they've been in the divisional round, what, three times in the last eight or so years, and they just haven't gotten past it yeah we're uh we're good at doing cowboy things and just beating ourselves i really felt like this year we had a good chance we just i don't know there's plenty of yeah i'm a i'm a big Dak fan um so like i don't want to hate on Dak, but it would be nice for him to kind of play a little bit better sometimes in the uh the, the playoffs yeah well i'm always i i mean granted like if i I'm very proud of my Broncos and everything they've done, but of the many things that have happened in the last seven or so years that I wish would have gone differently was the fact that how Dallas really wanted to take Paxton Lynch in the 2016 yes. draft and Denver took him and you all settled yeah. air quotes with Dak instead. I, uh, I very much wish that could have played out differently. Yeah. I mean, we, we were big on Paxton Lynch. Like that mm-hmm. was Jerry's guy. When did you guys take him? 
Denver traded up for him. So that was the year after, well, that was right after they won the Super Bowl in 2015. So they had pick number 32, and I think they traded up to maybe 20th to yes. take Paxton. I think if, um, I, I don't remember what pick we had, but yeah, I think if he were to drop later on in the first to us or what, the second, whatever, like we were taking him. That was the guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, if we'd have taken Paxton Lynch, we probably would have moved on from obviously moved on by now, and maybe mm -hmm. we'd have a better quarterback and we'd have won a Super Bowl. Yeah, it's funny how things work out. And then, you know, since we're talking about draft stuff, two years ago, Denver was right in front of Dallas and the Broncos took Pat Sertan, who I'm very happy with, but yes. that left you guys with Micah Parsons, who's turned into an, an unstoppable force. Oh, it's crazy because I remember thinking that too. I was like, Dang, I really wanted to tank because he's he's great and he is mm -hmm. good. Yeah, he's awesome. awesome. You can't you can't argue with Parsons. That dude is he's unreal. Yeah. Micah is a good, good player. And I would say the same about you on the golf course, Andrew. A good, good player, but an even better guy. Thanks, Thanks so much for joining me and being on here. Uh, best of luck with everything on the golf course and off the golf course throughout the rest of the year. But we're uh, certainly pulling for you, expecting big things, and hopefully we'll have you back on here someday as a winner of a relatively big event. We can talk about that. Sounds good, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'll see you at your wedding next time.